I got to be honest with you, I am glad that today is our last Sunday of adulting because I've been getting tired of carrying around all my luggage. Uh, each week I have been up here and I have had a suitcase and bags and I've been trying to leave a few of them behind as we have gone through the month, trying to leave some of the anxiety, some of the busyness, some of the different things that supposedly make us adults and yet make us very poor children of, of God. And I appreciate all of you as we've been going through this study uh, together, trying to grow young in the Lord. The different things that you've been saying, it just made sense to talk about this since we've got college graduates and we've got high school graduates. We, we have rock stars in our congregation turning 90. It just made sense to talk about what is life like as we are supposed to be adults. What does that mean for us? And hopefully you've been able to shed some of your baggage over the last few weeks. Maybe you didn't come in here today with as much adulting luggage as you have maybe had in the past. And I hope that you will continue to shed that luggage and hope you will continue to grow young. And I just want to um, echo here from the start what Steve has already said about uh, one of our rock stars here, a couple of them with... Um, Dr. and Mrs. Hayes, uh, I want to say my also thanks for the service that they have given over the years to the congregation. I know they're going to continue to be very involved here, uh, but uh, for the, the work that Dr. Hayes has done serving as one of our elders, it has been a, a pleasure to be on staff and to be led by him and to be prayed over by him. And, uh, you know, first time I heard Dr. Hayes, you know, pray, I thought, man, this guy, this guy's really amazing because he speaks to God in the language of the body that only God understands. I mean, being a surgeon, Dr. Hayes, you know, he knows all the different things that go on within your body and, and the way that everything works together. And when things go wrong, he knows why they're going wrong and things that should be done to fix it. And so when he would pray, he would speak to God on your and on my behalf in body language. And, and so he would pray about pulmonary embolisms and cardiac infarctions. And he would use all this different terminology. And I can remember being there at a table and, and holding hands with him as he would pray and, and he would use this language. And I'm like, God is going to answer this prayer. Because there is more wrong with this individual than I realized. And Dr. Hayes, and he knows what it is. And he knows the words to use. And so I appreciate that so much, Dr. Hayes. And um, my knee is swollen today. And so if you would, whatever the, whatever the terminology is for the neo-swellingo, um, if you would just go ahead and pray for that this morning, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll see what happens. I'll give everybody an update. But boy, I love to hear Dr. Hayes pray because he cares for the people here, this congregation. He cares for the souls of the people here. And so again, I want to say thank you for the service, Dr. Hayes, that you have, that you and Miss Sarah have given. You know, as we get older, uh, it would be great if we could always keep that type of enthusiasm that Miss Mildred Kelly has, that Dr. Hayes and Miss Sarah share. It would be great if we could be able to keep that joy about us and the energy and the, the laughter and the way in which things just seem to um, never, never get on us too much, that we're able just to let things go. We never take ourselves too seriously. But there's something about growing up. 
There's something about when we become adults that, that we just decide that, well, that now things just aren't as maybe special as they once were. You know, for kids, everything is awesome. And if you don't believe me, just ask your kids. You know, they'll use that term a lot. Everything's awesome from the pizza that they eat to the, hopefully, the Bible classes that they're a part of to a movie that they saw to their latest friendships, anything that they've seen online. It's all awesome. And for children, a lot of things are awesome. But then we grow up and become adults, and it's harder and harder for us to be amazed anymore. If only we could be like this little guy. we grow up, it takes more and more to amaze us. Nobody can just hold up a sheet of paper and tear it in front of us anymore. No, it's got to be something bigger and, and better. And we get so disappointed by, by things these days. There are individuals that you hope to meet one day and finally you meet them and they turn out not to be nearly as large in life as you expected them to be. Places that you'd always wanted to visit, that when you finally get there, all of the buildup and all of the excitement that you felt on the journey, you were let down because it just wasn't what you expected it to be. Something about getting older, it's just harder and harder for us to get excited. Something comes along and just slowly dilutes our wonder. And when it comes to things of God, regardless of how old we are, it seems like we just have more and more trouble being amazed. Maybe that's why Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And maybe what it is, we just, we just get too smart for ourselves. Did, did any of your grandmothers used to say you're too smart for your own raising, you know? You're getting too smart for your britches? That was something that I can remember hearing as a kid growing up. 
Maybe we just get too much. Maybe we've been in Bible classes so long. We've attended so many worship opportunities. We have been a part of so many different small groups. Our, our theological education, it just has gotten more and more. And what I think it happens is it begins to have the same effect. You know, we lose our wonder over things like historical sites or pages that get ripped up because it just doesn't suit our imaginations anymore. But I believe we lose our wonder of God because of familiarity. We're just so familiar with things about God. And we pick and we parse and we dissect and we discuss the wonder just right out of ourselves. And let's be honest about something. Our church tradition has been pretty good at gaining knowledge through the years. That's kind of been our thing. We have hung our hat on the idea of discipleship and in Bible study and in opening up the scriptures and in gaining more and more knowledge. And yet, as we have gained all that knowledge, we've ended up dis dissecting all of that knowledge to death. And we now have more access at this point in time in history to more information than generations in the past have ever had. Podcasts at the touch of a button, countless sermons that we are able to listen to. There are churches on every corner. There are videos on demand. You can get books on your tablet. You can have books in your library. I can be reading at this moment, listening to or even watching centuries of commentary, study, and reflection on any biblical text that I choose. And the result is the propensity to become an intellectually obese Christian. Where my mind becomes fat with knowledge and, and bloated with facts. I can tell you that Ruth was a Moabite, but I don't really know why. I have to loosen my belt around my heavily churchified brain more and more each day. And sadly, even though I have found that the knowledge continues to come in day after day, week after week, sermon after sermon, worship after worship, my passion does not keep place with that knowledge. In fact, I see just the opposite. That the more I am at church, and the more that I read, and the more Bible studies I'm involved in, and the more churchy things that I do, it seems that my knowledge grows and my passion and my wonder, well, they begin to wane. And I've identified some warning signs, and maybe you've seen these before in your, in your own life. Warning signs that show that we drift into the dangerous territory of knowing about God and yet not being floored by the wonder of actually knowing God. You know, just a few minutes ago, we sang, And I stand, I stand in awe of you. And maybe some of you were there going, you know what? We have sang this song over and over in my lifetime. Maybe you sat there and just kind of went through and it was like, all right, this isn't really my favorite song. Maybe we sang and your mind was on things that are going to be happening later this afternoon. Your, your thoughts were on issues that are going on that nobody else here but God knows. But as we sang about standing in awe in the presence of God, you had the head knowledge, but your heart wasn't in it. You see, if I tend to have an attitude of examination, 
rather than participation. Then the warning signs are going off saying, you know what, I've got a lot of knowledge, but I'm starting to lose my wonder. If you find yourself when surrounded by the worship of God, the preaching of the word, and the fellowship of the saints, examining the methodology of those leading, rather than participating in what is going on around you, it's very possible that you've become just filled with knowledge and yet absence of wonder. In a case like that, you'd prefer to analyze the details of the presentation rather than dwelling on and drinking deeply from the presence of God. I've seen it in my own life. I've also seen it when I'm more excited than grieved at finding fault. We find faults and maybe it's something that's relatively minor. But we begin to feel a sense of justification, a sense of triumph that somehow we have been able to see through all the fluff and find the kernel of error that must be exposed And if it's not exposed to the world, well, at least it's exposed to my own heart. And so, therefore, I feel a sense of superiority that that I have been able to see something in someone else's life, in something else that's going on that maybe nobody else is seeing. And that beast within me that craves to be at a higher place than God allows me to, to feel so tall and so big and so strong and so mighty even for a moment. It's a warning sign. It's also a warning when we have this desire to argue over generalities instead of sharing specifics. Something about growing older, something about getting into adulthood and and getting all of this biblical knowledge that we accumulate just gets us to want to be able to talk about all these what ifs and, and how thens. If when you are in conversation with another in the body of Christ and there's no confession of sin, there's no admittance of struggle, there's no grace to listen to the other, do the same, but instead a preference to deal in those hypothetical, can God make a rock that, well, he can't even move type of discussions, then beware of over-knowledge and over-education. In a case like this, we keep the truth of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit at arm's length because if we were to let them be closer... If we were to have deeper conversations, well, then something might have to change. And we can't bear the thought of the magnifying glass actually being put on our lives. So let's talk about something general. Let's talk about a hypothetical. Let's study something that I already know all the answers to. You see, it's a terrible irony to be surrounded by so much knowledge. And yet, to no longer be awed by a single shred of it. It's something akin to floating in a raft and you're out there on a hot summer day on a freshwater sea and the blazing sun is beating down, but you do not have the strength to lean over the side and just cup your hand and get a little bit of water to to quench your thirst. As we grow older, an unintended consequence of all the information overload is that the love of God and the impact that it is supposed to be having right here and now in our lives, it becomes stale. And we might be able to recite the facts about the gospel, yet we are no longer moved by them. We no longer survey the wondrous cross, though we have dissected it every way from Sunday. I appreciated Stephen this morning as he he said, you know, there's just some times where he said, I'm just overcome by my own sin. And the thought and the idea that God would actually forgive me. Who am I that I should receive the forgiveness of sin? 
You see, there exists then for the Christian a balance to be had between the facts about God. The facts about the love of God. And then the wonder of those facts. The wonder of those facts. The mystery that is the balance between the heart and the head. Between experience and intellect. And often as Christians, we've done really well at the intellectual side of our faith. And encouraging others to get into the word and to study and to grow in knowledge. But we have not always put the same energy in. To encouraging and allowing the awe and the wonderosity of God to envelop our lives. We've had difficulty between experience and intellect. It's why the Apostle Paul would pray for the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, he would say, For this reason I kneel before the Father. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Paul said it's one thing to learn about God and his love. It's one thing to memorize a scripture that God is love. It's one thing to be able to quote and say, for God so loved the world. But Paul said, my prayer for the church is that you would just not know it, but that you would feel it and that it would become a part of you, that you would know its width and its length and its depth, the strength, and you would feel that pressure weighing down on you daily. So that sometimes it would cause you to fall to your knees. It would cause tears of joy to just burst from your tear ducts. It would cause song to come out of your mouth as if all of a sudden prompted by nothing. Because God is love. And then we become adults. And the wonder of that love begins to seep away. You know, I think, about, I think about it like my cell phone. You know, I don't really understand how cell phones work. And I don't care to understand how they work. It doesn't bother me that I have no idea how my phone works. But it's truly a wonder that, that we all have right now, there sitting beside us or in our pockets or, or in our purses, that we have this device that allows us to talk to people who are all straight out all over the world. And we can actually make phone calls and we can send messages and text and emails. And not only that, with this device, we can access more information in a moment than previous generations could ever view in a lifetime. And we can take pictures and we can make movies and countless other things. And all this we simply accept without any wonder anymore. In fact, the only time I really think about my cell phone at all is when it doesn't work. Right? 
It's when something is wrong and it doesn't work quickly enough for me. And it's the danger that we all drift into when we lose our wonder. Though we might know the ins and outs of God's love, we begin to presume upon its reality. And Paul says, I want you to experience the love of God in your heart, not just in your head. To, To lose our wonder is to have a very educated mind and a very cold heart. It's the same kind of heart that characterized the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. You see, if you fast forward a few decades, you see a very different outcome than the one that Paul prayed for. Paul prayed in his writing to the Ephesians that they would be able to grasp the the depth, the width, the length, everything about the very love of God. And then you fast forward decades later and you see words that were sent to them from Jesus himself. And it seemed as if their wonder had all been snuffed out. In Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, Jesus said to this same church, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Jesus had no, he had no issue with the conduct of these Christians. They were working, they were laboring, they were enduring, they refused to tolerate evil. They they were very accurate in their theology, even going so far as to test some and then put them out of their fellowship because they were doctrinally deficient. And yet here's what he says, I do hold this against you, however. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Despite all their accolades, despite all of their knowledge, despite all their work, their hearts were cold. And Jesus said they were in great danger. And here's the fearsome thing for all of us who are growing up in our faith. Jesus tells us here it is possible to say the right thing, to know the right thing, even defend the right thing and yet have our Lord hold our lack of love against us. Let that sink in for a minute. We can know all the verses. We can sing all the songs. We can speak of our baptisms and our worships and whatever else it is that have brought us knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge. And Jesus says, I still have something against you, church. If you're feeling the weight of this this morning, I want you to know that there is hope. There is hope that Jesus gives that as we grow, we we don't have to lose our our wonder. We do not have to, to lose the love that we had in the beginning. He would give instructions to the church in Ephesus. He would say, remember then how far that you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If you look at yourself and you say, you know what? I just don't have the wonder. I don't have the awe anymore that's present. Then will you remember? Will you begin to remember where it is that you've come from? See, Jesus tells the church to remember how far they've fallen. And remembering is a, it's a powerful discipline to get us back and to get back what we have lost. When passion is waning in your marriage, spend some time remembering. 
When friendships are on the rocks, spend some time remembering. When you're questioning the faithfulness of God, you spend time remembering. You call to your mind intentionally and repetitively moments from your past. And then use those moments to fuel your present. Surely we can, we can do this as we look back over our lives and we, and we see the different ways in which God has worked, in which God has been mighty. We think back to the time when we were dead in our sins and we had no hope, we had no future. And we call to mind the time when God awakened us to the great love of Christ. We can recall to our mind the clarity, the moments of worship when we have been overcome with gratitude and awe, when we just had to stop singing the songs because the emotion welled up inside us so much. We remember. But we don't just stop at remembering, we also repent, just as the church at Ephesus was told to do. But understand, repentance does not mean stopping something. To repent means to turn. It means that you are walking in one direction and then we turn and we walk in another. In this case, it means that we might have been walking in an educated, informed, and, and even correct fashion. But we're not walking in the wondrous, loving arms of Jesus. And so we must turn. We must turn and again walk in a way in which we are bathed with his love. And that love comes out from us. We remember, we repent, and then finally we return we turn back and we do the works that we did at first. And what is it that we do at first? What is it that we did when we were newly born again Christians, overcome with the wonders of God's love? We sang freely. We worshiped regularly. We immersed ourselves in God's word to know him. We extended the same love to others that we had received from God. The things that we once did, we need to do again in our repentance as we turn and return. They're just simple things. Simple things of expression that one time were just so naturally and it just so naturally out, flowed out of our hearts. And these are the kindling that God uses to, to get that fire, to get that passion, to get it going and get us going again with the wonder and the love. You know, they're things that return us to the cross. Where Jesus bought our love relationship. Where, where Jesus bought that unconditional acceptance with God. Because the punishment that was upon him, that was our punishment. And yet it brought our peace. The suffering that he endured secured our inheritance. And so he echoed the words of, of David in Psalm 22 as, as he was there on the cross. As he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, we're familiar with David's 23rd Psalm, but we're not, we don't know as much about the 22nd, the one before it. And yet, do you realize that no psalm is quoted more frequently in the New Testament? No other psalm so aptly fit the circumstances of Jesus' crucifixion? He would utter the beginning of the psalm while there on the cross. And, and it would be this particular psalm that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they would all point back to the gospel writers would say as they looked at the passion of the Christ, they would reach back into history, into time, and they would pull the ideas from Psalm 22 and say this is what was taking place as Christ was suffering. They saw the passion of Jesus as the fulfillment of the righteous cry of the sufferer in Psalm 22. You see, in those verses, in verses 22 through 31, David vows to praise the Lord when the Lord's sure deliverance comes. 
In verses 22 through 34, he anticipates the call of praise that will come, that others will come and they will accompany him as they will lift up their voice in praise to God. In verses 26 again through 31, it continues. There's this worldwide company of persons from every station in life and it continues throughout generation and generation. No psalm or prophecy contains a grander vision of the scope of the throng of worshipers who will join the praise of God's saving acts. You see, when Jesus cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not merely expressing the suffering that he was enduring as the wrath of God was being poured out on him. He was signaling the coming deliverance that would unleash the wonder and praise of generation of worshipers. You know, you're familiar with the first lines of Psalm 22. They are words of punishment and suffering. But as you see here on the screen, consider the final lines. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. And what should be our response? What should be our response to all that God has done? The redemption and the forgiveness, the healing and the salvation. Are these just facts from Scripture that we are to memorize so that we can get some type of gold star? Or are these truths that cause us to cry out, My God, my God, why have you accepted me? The wonder of it all. Have you grown so old in your faith? Have you been adulting for so long that you've lost the wonder and awe that comes from being in the presence of an awesome God? You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful the comprehension, like nothing ever seen or
We wanted to grow up so quickly. We wanted to be able to do things like all the other big people did. And in the process, we ran headlong into all of the anxiety and all of the, the busyness. All of the weights that come with adulting in our world. And we just thought that that's how it was supposed to be. That we were supposed to be serious and we were supposed to be stern. That we were supposed to do adult things in adult ways. And Father, in the process, we forgot what it means to be children. What it means to come into your presence and to crawl up into your lap and to find comfort and peace and protection and healing from you. We've become good adults. Father, we become poor children of the King. And it's seen in the fact that our wonder, our wonder is gone in so many ways. We become just so bored with, with doing the same things over and over and studying the same things and reading the same verses and singing the same songs and attending the same events and it just becomes so second place to us that Father we've forgotten what it was like the first time we've forgotten what it was like the first time where we realized that we were truly sinners and that you were a loving God who longed to pour out your love and mercy and grace upon us and so we stand here in your presence this morning asking that we might be able to remember. Remember what it was like when we first came to our faith. Remember what it was like when our sin was so great in our, in our, in our mind that we were so burdened by it that we, we wanted to do anything. Anything to have it be gone and only to find out that you asked for us just to throw ourselves on your mercy. Father, help us to return to that childlike faith. Help us to return to that exuberance that we felt when we would go and, and share and let others know what you had done in our life and the change that had been made and, and how real and how powerful you were. Father, help us to grow young again so that we can continue to be amazed by your presence. Not just when we are here together, but Father, as we're driving down the road, as we are seeing your beauty, as we are in our homes, as we're in our workplaces, wherever it is that you take us. Father, may we see the wonder that is, that is you. Father, we repent and we return to your open arms this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I want us to sing again. I know that um, our, our guys and gals have chosen a song to encourage one another. I'm going to encourage you that if during this month that, you know what, as we've been going through these different lessons talking about how that, you know, it's possible to, to grow up and to, to, to lose that, 
childlike faith. Maybe you need to come this morning. You need to turn. And the change that you need to make, the different way you need to walk, is instead of walking out the back doors while we sing, you need to come here down front. And you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. You need to ask for the prayers of this congregation. Maybe you need to come and be baptized into Christ because you, you've heard about all that God has done and you've gotten this knowledge, but you want to have an experience. You know, there's a reason why, I, I truly believe, there's a reason why God gave us the gift of, of baptism. Because it's a way for us to be able to experience that death, that burial, that resurrection. It's a way for us to have something tangible to feel as that water envelops us and as we come up as a, a new creation. There's a reason why our God has given us something like communion that we've shared earlier with bread and cups, something that we can touch, something that we can taste, something that we can consume because he wants the wonder to be more than just in our head. He wants it to be in our heart. And if that's what you desire this morning, then we encourage you to come while together we sing.